We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 246. Our guest today is back again for another episode. If you want to get the full lowdown of his equestrian life, you can tune into episode 143, which was his first episode. But today, we are talking about all things equitation in honor of USHJA's Equitation Month for their We Are U.S. Hunter Jumper campaign. So this month, we have done a top equitation trainer and judge, which is our guest today, as well as a top equitation junior rider, which was Alex Alston, who was last episode. And together, these two guests are coming on with me on June 24th. We're doing an Instagram Live to do a live Q&A for all things equitation. Get your questions ready, and they will be ready to answer them. So our guest today is a large R equitation judge. He has judged several equitation championships, both on the West Coast and the East Coast. And he has also had a lot of success with his junior equitation clients. He was the perfect one to chat, both in terms of training and judging top equitation rounds. So without further ado, I am so excited to welcome back our guest today, Archie Cox. Hi, Archie. Hey, good morning, Bethany. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? I am excellent. I'm looking forward to... Uh, expanding on the last podcast episode. Yes, yes. And for anyone listening, I have had the absolute pleasure of already having Archie on. He was episode 143. For anyone who wants to kind of get a nice overview of Archie and his equitation, uh, well, equestrian life, but today we're talking about equitation specifically. So give me a little rundown of your experience um, as a trainer and also judge for the equitation rings. Well, as an equitation trainer and judge and former student, and I would say having a passion for equitation, Mm -hmm. uh, my students have succeeded uh, in all the classes from the 12 and under to the 18 and over. And from coast to coast, and I have judged equitation finals uh, coast to coast as well. And I really enjoy seeing the progress of students, of horses, of riders, uh, and they can be small achievements at any level, all the way up to the highest level of the McClay finals. Mm-hmm. Do you have a fav- from a trainer standpoint, do you have a favorite class that you like to prepare a student for? Uh, one of my favorite classes is the USCT finals. And that is really about riding. It's about horsemanship. Mm-hmm. It's form follows function. Uh, and the pursuit that we all have of making it look beautiful, effortless, and seamless. That's what I look for when I'm judging. Totally. And for those listening who maybe don't know a lot about USAT, can you give me a little rundown of the format? Oh, sure. The USCT class throughout the year uh, has a jumping phase and a flat phase 
with advanced level flat work. And the jumping phase is also the, the highest level of jumper type metal. So it's a jumper type class judged on rider's position, the function. It should be a beautiful effortless round. Something that we would see uh, BZ Madden, McLean Ward, they've all done those classes and it's a stepping stone to world-class standings. Definitely. On that topic, tell me your thoughts behind, because I know that there are differing views within the industry and I think I already know the answer, but what? tell me a little bit about your stance behind the importance of a junior rider going through equitation before going to the higher levels of the jumpers. Uh, the junior equitation ranks, uh, I always say, is a stepping stone. Winning the medal, the McClay, the Gladstone, the USCT finals, local and regional finals, uh, I hold in high regard. And for many reasons, they teach kids about pressure. They teach kids about horsemanship, what's in the best interest of the horse, being able to steer, guide, control effortlessly the horse through a series of different patterns. And in doing so, you learn about softness, suppleness. And I say you have to crawl before you can walk and you have to walk before you can run. Mm -hmm. So the equitation division is really a stepping stone to becoming a top horseman. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Kind of keeping the same tone before we switch gears to the judging kind of component of um, your experience. Tell me a little bit about what you like to do with your students to prepare or kind of build that foundation of the equitation so that, you know, these riders are finding success at the upper levels of the junior equitation classes and finals. Well, one of the best ways to do that is you start, they're, they're stepping stones. You start at the beginning and whether it's uh, lower level, two, six, two, nine, three foot, you gradually, once you are consistently doing well at one, you move on to the next challenge and you're looking to do so, you want consistent rounds and you do the three foot equitation consistently so that you're giving the horse and the rider confidence to then move on to the, whether it be 3-3, three, 3-6. Three, three, uh, the USHJA currently has a, a great program of three-foot metal classes. And then, obviously, the Gladstone Cup is a 3-6 metal final. Uh, the jumping seat, the hunter seat, these are all stepping stones. And they've added some adult sections to these classes that people in California are very excited about. Uh, they really ask the rider, they challenge the rider. And I like my riders to go in all of these. Again, it can be the adult jump seat, the junior jump seat, the adult Taylor Harris, the children's Taylor Harris. 
These are all opportunities for kids to learn steering, control, balance, length of stride, and to do so in pressure situations. When you are preparing your students for a big class, walk me through your process and your strategy during a course walk. Uh, during a course walk, when I, I am really very clear with my students, I tell them always what to do, just give people good information, and I'll start with how we walk in the ring. And we'll walk that pattern. It's very good to do so on foot, telling the student, oh, go in, go to the side and get your left lead canner. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens from between the in gate and getting, where exactly do you do that? And uh, recently we practiced that at home with some of the younger kids because the opening circle can become confusing to the rider at the in gate, then the trainer, I speak from experience, gets frustrated with the rider. Then the rider is frustrated that the trainer's upset. Mm -hmm. And before they go in the ring, you've already caused sort of a train wreck. So you practice that at home and get the, I say the lingo, get all that understood when you say to the rider, go in the ring, swing over to the right, come around the end of the ring, cross the diagonal and catch your right lead. Right. I, I try to do all that at home. We do that right from the beginning with the younger kids. Uh, you know, Eloise is 11, Slate is 9, Logan is 10. So that you go to the horse show to show off what you know how to do. And then obviously the more advanced riders we work on all the flat work, everything. You go to a horse show. Karen Healy taught me this. You go to a horse show to show off what you know how to do. So if you're questioning, well, what do they ask in one class versus another class? Everything is out there on the internet for you to learn, whether it's the NCEA, the USHJA, jump seat, the hunt seat, knowing the tests and reviewing them at home. Those are things that I really impress upon people because that's something that's being prepared. And I want to go to the horse show and be prepared as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really, really great point. So you've entered the ring, finish your course walk and what you kind of go through. Are you going jump for jump? Are you um, obviously you know, many, everyone goes in and walks lines, but are you really focusing on track? What's kind of the focus with your clients? Uh, my focus is we've reviewed where to go. Mm -hmm. You pick up your canner, you get in your two point. We ride in a hunter seat position. They're all, most of them are, are hunter seat type classes. You find your pace in your two point. You go, and I tell the rider, go a little bit faster than you want so that you know the horse is in front of your leg. Then you can settle it down slightly, drop down more in the tack, and then you found your rhythm, you know the horse is bright and alert and willing to go forward. So when you turn to the first fence, you canter to the middle going forward. 
Then you jump one and you look right over. I, I make it very specific. You look right over, bending in six. At the second jump, it's directly across from the judge. Think of your position. Land, be organized. Prior to entering the next turn, you've done your homework when your back is to the judge. You've taken the half halt. You've slowed the horse down. You're regrouped so that as you leave the next turn, you're extremely organized. You do that, I like to say, by the middle of the short side, your horse is always organized. Switching over to judge mode, what is your take on, uh, I'm going to go through a few things that I feel like are um, sometimes, not controversial, but are sometimes like differing across, you know, classes or even coast to coast. This might vary with your experience with having a lot of time on both coasts. What's your take on rain length in an equitation class? Well, it's pretty basic. Your hand should always be slightly above and in front of the withers. Rain length, there generally rain length will, if your reins are too long or too short, it will show up in the class in your guiding the horse over the jumps. Right. Having the wrong rain length will show up or having to shorten the reins that interrupts the feel of the horse's mouth. Yeah, and then the other the other question I was going to ask was your importance um, seeing an equitation round as a judge, and you already kind of touched on it d- about during your course walk. Was that kind of jump one pace or kind of setting that pace early on? I know from being at the in gate or being a trainer, it always it's one of my pet peeves when the pace before jump one is just like so slow, out of rhythm, and actually same thing. Um, I I remember when I worked for Nick Karazisis, he would always say, start off your course with a hair above a canner and then bring it back to the canner. And so that's like exactly what you were saying. But I love that because it really kind of sets the tone that you know what you have and then you can kind of scale back a little bit. But you know that once you are getting to jump one, you have that in your back pocket when you need it. Yeah, you want to go to the first jump like you want a 90. Mm-hmm. That's how... You canter on down there like a 90. And for my students, I would prefer they lose trying to win mm-hmm. than lose trying to be safe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, Don Stewart is such an advocate of you gallop to that first jump and you show me what you have. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and anyone that, if you ha- as a judge, I sit there and watch. I say this to my students: Don't bore me. Don't 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 bore me. Crawling over the first jump, no. Get going and say, "Look what I can do." Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you watch so many in a day that <laughs> I'm sure. Do you have pet peeves? I really enjoy when class classes start with a line. Mm-hmm. And having grown up at the Northeast Winter Horse Shows, we often started with a line because the rings were so small, that was just how it went. Uh, and you learn to come out of the corner and go. Because um, I'd say 40 years ago, ho- horses didn't have quite as much stride as they do now. And you had to come through that turn and 
gallop on down there. Yeah, that's true. Since 2004, the USHJA has created programs, offered education, and has supported members of the hunter and jumper sport. In 2022, the USHJA has created the We Are U.S. Hunter Jumper campaign to highlight all things hunter and jumper. So everyone can understand everything this fantastic sport really has to offer. This month, our focus is all things equitation, and I will host a USHJA Instagram Live on June 24th, 6 p.m. Eastern. I will be hanging out with equitation rider Alex Alston and equitation trainer Archie Cox, and they will answer all of your questions, plus we will be giving away a terrific prize. Be sure to follow along on social with the hashtag WeAreUSHunterJumper to find out more, learn a ton, and not miss a thing. Again, that live Q&A is Friday, June 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time over at the US Hunter Jumper Instagram account. See you then! Besides pace, which is obviously such an important part of any jumping round, what are some things that, let's say someone listening is really working to take their equitation round from an 80 to a 90? What are some, what are some things that they could kind of focus on that would really, you know, start making that difference, getting them closer and closer to a 90? Uh, pace, position, turnout, uh, eye level, uh, um, a generous enough release. So many classes nowadays are uh, very intricate. And I see riders uh, using the mouth to hang on more. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I do metal tests, 90% of the time, remove your stirrups. And for me, Asking people to remove their stirrups, it's just as much a reminder to the riders as it is their trainers. Hmm. If their trainers are doing their jobs, those kids are riding without their stirrups. Yeah. Because that's how you get better. That's how you get tighter. And we, I, I go through phases as well. I go through different times where I say in lessons, and, and I'll get casual or complacent. Then you go to a big horse show and you realize, wow, we need, we need to do it better. Mm-hmm. We need to keep trying a little harder. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, especially when you have, you know, riders with multiple horses and they're there every day to kind of go through the motions. And then, and then things like this come up where it's, you know, a big, a big class or, you know, competition is so tight and things like, things like no stirrup work are so important to kind of make that extra step to, to be just a, that much set apart. Yeah. And it takes, it, it's available to everyone. It's quite easy. Mm-hmm. Just drop your stirrups, jump a couple jumps that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, it really shows a judge very quickly the strength of the rider where the horse can still be going with pace and connection and um, you can still release and you can sit there. It isn't completely a, uh, you know, a life or death situation with the kid just trying to hang on because they're so weak. But yeah, definitely. I think it's a, it's a definitely a, sign that that judges can kind of tell right away once those stirrups go away 
Yes, and and people actually do like it. And the, the, when a test is challenging, it raises the bar. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, always gauge my test on the level of rider. Sure. But for sure, I mean, last year in the McClay finals, those kids, there, there was no doubt in my mind, they practiced some without their stirrups. Absolutely, yeah. When, when you get to that level, you, things happen. Riders lose their stirrups you got to be able to keep going and make it look effortless. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. When you are judging an equitation round, um, now that you have you know a lot of experience at the top of the equitation world on both the West Coast and East Coast, do you notice any you know kind of glaring differences between the two coasts as far as style of riding or has it become you know at the top level more and more similar the top level is more and more similar yeah uh, you know a winner on the west coast is a winner on the east coast uh, i i would for sure say that there are not too many differences i think that sometimes the style tends to be a little different. I think I I just had a couple years on the West Coast, um, and I feel like there's more of an emphasis on rain length, but that could be in the specific program that I was a part of. But it, and I think there is just more of a focus on the equitation on the West Coast than there is on the East Coast, and I'm not quite sure why that is, but it seems like the equitation is still. A very, a very big focus, especially um, being integrated into a program for a junior rider. Yeah, I, I think that on both coasts, equitation is strong. And certainly the, the numbers on the East Coast and the classes in Florida. Yeah. Throughout the year, they get smaller, but that's as people sort of spread their wings and go to different horse shows. Sure. Uh, but when I've judged in Florida, they're, <laughs> 70 kids in the Washington medal. <laughs> uh, the, Taylor Harris has over 30 and that's divided into two sections. Mm. So I think there, there's still quite a few, quite, it's quite large everywhere. Yeah, definitely. And with the added number of equitation classes, uh, people are being a little bit more selective. I want to say in California alone in the past five or six years, I think we've added five or six new classes to horse shows and they then have to fit them into the schedule and riders have to make choices about how many classes they do go in. Sure. Thinking about equitation horses, what are some traits that you look for in an ideal equitation horse? Uh, the ideal equitation horse is very brave, is very responsive, is able to have a stride much like an accordion. It, it can go out effortlessly and come in effortlessly, uh, be attractive, land on both leads, be just be very, very supple and willing to help the rider and jump in consistent form. Mm-hmm. And for a horse that maybe is not ideal, 
what are some things uh, that they can that a rider could work on with their equitation horse at home to improve on that suppleness? Oh, you know, lots of bending lines mm-hmm. on the flat, riding broken lines, just getting the horse as soft as they can to yield around the leg or move off the outside leg. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to try to make it effortless and know your horse and always be thinking ahead. If you know your horse is a little bit, maybe a short strided, you know, land off the first jump and start going then. Mm-hmm. And just gradually build. So you're always telling the horse, yes, you can. Yeah, I think that like a positive ride um, mm-hmm. for that and doing it early on so that you're not having to do anything, you know, last minute or startling in, you know, three yeah, strides. Yeah, if it's last minute, it's probably too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh huh. Absolutely. Well, Archie, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting more about equitation. I'm so excited to have you on live with me tomorrow for um, over at U.S. Hunter Jumper to talk about equitation month um, over there with Alex. So that'll be really fun. We're going to do a live Q&A. Um, yes. And so that'll be amazing. So everyone listening, get your questions ready for Archie. He'll be here to answer anything equitation. I am ready and willing and able. I love it. Well, thanks again, Archie. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.